extremely warm today. Help us out with that, would you, fellas? We need that one on, too. If you could help me, gentlemen, somebody, please. Not just anybody, but somebody that knows at least how to hit the switch and turn it on there. That'd be great. All right, and that'll cool it down real fast that way. All right. Very good. Okay, let's take our Bibles, turn over the book of Psalm chapter 2 today. Psalms chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 1. We're going to read through the chapter. Again, it's not a very long chapter. It's just uh, simply 12 verses. And uh, All right. Is this on then? Okay, very good. Excellent. Chapter 2, the book of Psalms, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall He speak unto them in His wrath, and vex them in His sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest ye be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Now in this particular passage, of course, it's a prophetical passage as well. We're noting a time in the end when Jesus Christ himself, during the tribulation period even, and throughout the end of the world, we're seeing these kings uh, raising up against the Lord Jesus Christ, raising up against the people of God. Ultimately, the warning is given. You better be real careful. You better be very careful. Why are you raging against God? Why are you speaking evil against God? Why are you standing in opposition against the Lord? You better be careful. You better, ought to, you better come to Him. Kiss the Son. You better be willing to pay obeisance, uh, obeisance to Him and bow down to Him and submit to Him, surrender to Him, because if you don't, He's going to crush you. And then that's basically what's going on here in chapter 2 of the book of Psalms. And when I look at the book of Psalm, the last verse, I notice a very important phrase here that I want to really draw our attention to. But he says, Kiss the son, lest thou be angry, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that, what? Put their trust in him. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. And I want to ask a question this morning. I'm going to ask this question who will you trust? Who will you trust? Throughout history, there have been men and women who have trusted the Lord. Their lives are shining examples that our verse is true this morning. And I think about Joseph. And after receiving a number of visions, uh, revealing his promising future, uh, it wasn't very long after that his brothers conspired against him and they ultimately cast him into a very lonely pit, and they left him there to die. Eventually, they sold him into slavery itself. 
After arriving in Egypt, he's falsely accused. He's unfairly tried. He is ultimately unjustly convicted from a crime that he never even committed. He's sentenced to prison where he remains there for, let's face it, a number of years before he finally meets a baker and he meets a butler. And of course, they had a dream and they were concerned about their dream and Joseph interpreted their dream. Of course, we know that ultimately both of them forgot about Joseph. Although his dream were, uh, his, his, his interpretations were accurate. They finally, they are released. The one dies. The other one goes back into service. And Joseph is forgotten. Forgotten. Finally, it's been 25 years now since Joseph's wonderful uh, vision, since he saw uh, those bowing down to him, since he's seen himself somewhat elevated even amongst his own family members. And now he's given a chance to interpret Pharaoh's dream. He does interpret the dream. He is then pardoned and even promoted to second in the land as far as authority-wise. He would ultimately go on to, to preserve a nation and to rescue his family from a famine in which they would have perished. What is even more amazing to me than the fact that Joseph was elevated to second in the kingdom that he went from being a pauper to being a prince, that he went from being in rags to riches. What amazes me even more than all of that is that he never descended into the bondage of bitterness or revenge. He never embraced this idea of, I will repay you. He never did that. He didn't live his life with bitter feelings toward his brethren. He didn't go through life just regretting the day that he trusted them, that he even went out there to give them the message from his dad, that he even sought them out at all. Instead, he, he never thought, I wish I would have killed them first. I wish I would have settled the problem before they ever hurt me. He didn't fall into that trap. He didn't fall into it at all. That amazes me, to be honest with you. If anybody had a right to be bitter, if anybody had a right to be upset, a right to be angry and want revenge, it would have been Joseph. At least I think so. But this particular man never stopped trusting God. Instead, his family arrives in the midst of the family, and he turns around and feeds them, and then ultimately gives them a place to stay. Goes to Pharaoh and says, Will you allow my family to remain here in Egypt? He said, by all means. And before it was over with, they're all being promoted, they're being given jobs, and they are being preserved through this famine. He never stopped trusting God. He never allowed the many disappointments, the betrayals, and the injustices to destroy his faith in the Lord. He just kept trusting and depending upon the Lord. See, he believed in God when all others would have said, forget God and follow your own pathway. Go your own direction. Do your own thing. What has, it, what has it profited you to follow God, to serve the Lord, to trust in Him? What good's it done you? I think it would have been tempting to take matters into his own hands. We're not really told either way how that all turned out, but it certainly appears from the from the, 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 the uh, word of God that this man stayed faithful throughout, that he did not have periods of 
breakdowns. And someone says, well, he was just human. I'm sure he did. Well, you show it to me there. And we like to believe everybody's as weak as we are. That everybody puts their pants on the same way. You know, there are some men and women of God in this room today who do not, who do not fall into the same category sometimes as we do. I mean, there's some people that believe God. I mean, they believe God. And just because we struggle with it sometimes doesn't mean they do. But then again, there may be something they do struggle with that we don't. But my point being is here today is that Joseph did not give up on God. There's not one thing recorded that he ever did. I believe Joseph stayed faithful, whether it was in Potiphar's house, whether it was in that pit, whether it was in the prison. I believe Joseph stayed faithful. I don't think he always was going, oh, poor pitiful me. Oh, I better get strong now. I better. Oh, I'm sure he had maybe. Maybe he did have a weakness here and there. I don't know. You say, well, he had to. He was a man. Well, yeah, I know that. But I believe Joseph was faithful to the end. I just do. I, I just believe that. Therefore, I believe that I can be if I will obey God too. I just believe I can if I do what God tells me to do. That's all. It's not about me being better or the same as Joseph. It's about me being a man again. I can obey God. I can trust God. And I can have victory in my life too. Just like Joseph did. He kept trusting. Moses had grown up in Egypt, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had enjoyed the very best that the world had to offer. But down in his soul, he could not escape the nagging reality that he was an Israelite. That those were his people. After trying to deliver them in his own ability, his own strength, in his own wisdom, his own timing, we find Moses fleeing from Egypt. Fleeing for his very life. He comes to rest in the wilderness where he ultimately marries. He has children, and he cares for the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro. He would eventually meet God, of course. We know the story. Charleston Heston helps us greatly here. How there on the mount, the burning bush, he's drawn to it. He hears the voice of God. He's on holy ground. And he has given his marching orders. Moses like. Each of us, I'm sure, had some insecurities. And as a result of those insecurities, he cries out and says, God, I can't do the job you're asking me to do. How can I trust you with this responsibility? And God says, no, you're going to get it done. I'll be with you. And in the end, after some debate, ultimately Moses makes his way or journeys back to Egypt again, where God supernaturally delivers the Israelites. However, the people, although God had intended that they enter into the promised land, a land that flowed with milk and honey, although God wanted them to have the very best that he had to offer, they operated in fear instead of faith. They struggled with trusting God. And before it is over with, Moses would experience great frustration and anxiety at the hand of angry mobs who threatened his very life. From faithless followers who sought to persuade others to go back to Egypt even. He would be frustrated and upset with reckless rebels who 
tried to dethrone him, so to speak, to remove him from authority, to take him out of the position that God had intended for him. In all of it, amidst everything, Moses trusted God. Oh, he had a couple of setbacks. We understand he struck the rock instead of speaking to it the second time. But Moses, as we look at his whole, I guess, his whole resume of life, comes across as being everything that a man of God ought to be, trusting God. What an amazing thing it is to see this man endure the heartaches, the trials, the suffering, the betrayal that he did. And instead of taking matters in his own hands, other than that one time that's recorded, Moses yields himself to God, trusts the Lord, and says, I don't know how I'm going to lead these millions of people through this wilderness. I don't know how I'm going to convince them to follow you. I don't know how we're going to stay pure and clean, even though we have an idolatrous heart. But Lord, I will trust you. He did. He did. Moses trusted God, and God blessed Moses. Joseph trusted God, and God blessed Joseph. What does it mean to trust God? What does it really mean? Let me just make it real simple. Trusting God says that I will obey and follow God and simply trust Him with the outcome. That's, that's trusting God. As simple as I can make it. Trusting God, and you say, you can't use trust in the definition because it's the word we're trying to define. I know, you're right. But anyway... Trusting God says, here it is, I will obey and follow God. Here it is, this is the book. I've got his word on it. Moses had the word of God. Joseph had the dream, the word of God on it. And he said, you know what, I've got God's word on it. I'm just simply going to obey and follow God. And I'll leave the outcome, the consequences in his hands. As simple as it is. No matter how awkward, how unpopular, or outrageous it may be, no matter how unconventional, irrational, or strange it may seem, you will just obey and follow God and allow Him to worry about the outcome. It's that simple. He says, but if I don't do this, then this will happen. You're not responsible for the result. You're not responsible for the outcome. You're not responsible for the consequences, if indeed you obey God. We are responsible to obey and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our responsibility. It is someone else's responsibility to worry about the outcome. So, yeah, but you don't understand. If I did what the Bible says, I'll lose my house. If I did what the Bible says, I may lose my wife or husband. If I did what the Bible says, I may lose a child, so to speak. If I do what the Bible says, I may lose my job. If I do what the Bible says, I may not know where I'm going to go next week or next month. I may not have a future. I don't know where it leads. Exactly. Moses and Joseph both are prime examples of men who made a decision to trust God irregardless of the consequences or the outcome. They simply said, God, I will obey and follow you, and you are responsible for how it all turns out. That is trust in God. 
See, we're quick to take matters into our own hands, to seek the counsel of others, even when God's counsel is clear. Even when it's clear, we say, well, you know, I need to really consider some counsel. I mean, wise counsel, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. Let me tell you something. When God's word is clear on an issue, you don't need a multitude of nothing. You just need God's word on it. You've already got a multitude. See, anytime you're with God, God's always a majority here. I mean, you're good to go here. God warns us. He gives us some admonitions. He gives us some warnings. Let's share just a couple of those very quickly. We grow up in a culture that tells us you ought to trust in this, 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 and this. I want to share just a few moments what the Bible says. And I want you to understand, we'll just take a few minutes of some scripture here. Let's, let's do a little Bible study for just a minute. Let's see what God has to say about trusting in other things. Let's do that for just a moment. Our faith, our trust should not be in some things, at least the Bible says. Number one, it shouldn't be in money and possessions. Very quickly, turn if you would to 1 Timothy 6.17. Money and possessions. Everybody says, well, we already know that. I know, but do we live that? I mean, let's face it, you know. I mean, I sure feel a lot more secure when I've got extra money in my pocket than when I don't. Sure nice when the bank account's full. It's sure nice when the job, I'm getting the raise instead of getting my hours cut. I'm not saying that it's wrong to want your hours increased or to have your pay increased. No, that's wonderful. Man, make as much as you can, give as much as you can to God. I believe in that. Listen, if I wasn't pastor of Community Baptist Temple, I'd want to be a millionaire so I could give more money to God's work. I'd make as much money as I possibly could to support the work of God. Because in the end, in eternity, that's all that's going to really matter. That extra home on the beach is not going to be something that's going to bring me crowns. Now listen, ain't nobody in this room has got an extra house on the beach, so I can talk like that, right? Well, what about so-and-so? You're going to get I'm upset. Nobody's upset about that last thing because nobody has an extra house at the beach. So I'm pretty safe right now. But listen, you take a guy like Russell Anderson, made millions and millions and millions of dollars in his business. We had him here a number of years ago. He has a place on the beach in Hawaii. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Do you realize that that man's given over $33 million to missions? I mean, I'm not going to fault him for having a place like that. Who in the world? You'd be crazy to. The dude was an avid soul winner, went to church every time the doors were open, and never once compromised the biblical standards to make money. But yet he made money because God knew he'd be responsible with it. Amazing story. 1 Timothy 6.17, charge them that are rich in this world that they may be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. 1 Timothy 6.17, I'm sorry. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Man, what a wonderful thing. Now, I know, I know what the mentality is in our, our, our church, and I know what it is in America. We're not rich. Yes, we are. If you ever take a trip to another country, you will realize how wonderfully, unbelievably rich you are. It's amazing. Go ahead. Just go on down to Mexico. Go on down to the Philippines. Go, go into any other third world country. Say, well, there's other countries that have a lot. Yeah, and they're rich too in comparison to the world. We live in a little bubble in America. We think we're the standard. You know what we are? We're the exception. I mean, people on public assistance have more than people in most countries in our nation. 
I'm not trying to be, I'm just being honest here. And when the Bible speaks about it, just do not point the finger and go, yeah, see those rich people up there on Capitol Hill? See those people down there? And the No, no, let's look at ourselves for a moment. When you can walk out the door on Black Friday and buy a big screen TV, you got more than you need. I'm not trying to, you don't have to have a big screen TV to make it in life here in America. But boy, it's sure nice. And if you got a big 60 and you just trade in for a 70, let me know. I'll take it off your hands. <laughs> but the point being is, the point being is, we have more than we could ever need. Honestly, look at the clothes we wear. It's a wonderful thing. I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, say that we don't. Listen, God bless you. God bless me. He has, or we wouldn't be where we're at. But let's not forget where the blessing comes from. Because the Bible says, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, prideful, arrogant, nor trust in uncertain riches. They're uncertain. They don't last. They're not eternal. But in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. They're really from God anyway. Don't you get, isn't it funny? I'm a self-made man. No, you are a God-blessed man. You're a God-blessed woman. God has permitted that in your life. Even if the devil has used it as a tool to destroy you, God permitted it. It's still there as a result of God's goodness to America in the first place. Money and possessions. Be careful. Be careful. It wasn't that long ago that thousands of dollars were lost in 401ks when the stock market crashed. It wasn't that long ago, just in February of 2009, that we reached a 25-year high, 9.4% on our unemployment rate. It was just in... It was just in 1982 and 1983, February, uh, December and January, that we reached an all-time high, 13.8% of unemployment. Listen, don't think for a moment those riches are going to endure. They're not. God says, just be careful. Just be careful. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Not in uncertain riches. Number two, people. Do not. The Bible warns us not to trust people. Now, not to not trust people in the sense of your wife. I'll never trust you. I'll never trust you, honey. That kind of, no, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about in spite or instead of God. Look at Psalm chapter 118, verse 8 and 9. Psalm 118, verse 8 and 9. We're going to try to hurry through here a little bit. We just got a few verses. Let's look at this. Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Oh, you can put confidence in man, and you know what? It might be good. It could be good. But it's better, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Someone says, well, I've trusted people. I don't know why you're such a big deal about this. This worked out for me. I know it can work out okay. And in, it, in many people's lives it has. But it's better. Don't you want the best for yourself? Don't you want the best that God has for your family? Don't you want the best for your children? You say, well, I'm fine with what I have. That's the sad reality of Americans. We are content with mediocrity. I want the best, and I hope you do too today. And he says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Psalm 146.3 says, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. There Now it even makes it even better. He says, guess what? It's going to end in disaster. Don't do it. 
Frederick the Great once said this statement. He said, the more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. I like that. Isn't that great? The more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. Man's best friend, amen? Why? Because they're loyal. You can trust them. You've never been let down by a person, have you? No, me neither. Me neither. Notice what it says here. Not only that, but we are not to trust in armies. Armies. Notice what it says in Psalm chapter 127. You're already there. 127 verse 1. Look what it says. Great passage. One of my favorite passages really in the Bible because it deals with so many things. Psalm 127 verse 1. A song of decrees for Solomon. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Safety. Wow, I want safety, don't you? Absolutely. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. What, what, what are we trusting in today? What are we trusting in? The psalmist goes on to say, For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our enemies and hast put them to shame that hated us. And that's something. Armies. We've got the strongest military in the world. We say things like that. Oh, is that what we're trusting in to keep us safe? Because I'm telling you right now, we've got some real enemies, and they're not going to be held up by some, you know, army necessarily. We've got more than just physical enemies. We have spiritual enemies. You better be real careful. You better be real careful. I'm glad. I, I want a strong military. I, I hope our president... Uh, makes some decisions to make sure our military is always strong. I do not want him to take away monies and support of our military. Man, we need a strong presence in the world. I, I, I mean, that, I'll tell you one thing. You don't pick on the biggest guy in the, in the, the, uh, the playground. You pick on the other guy. Man, I, I don't want nobody picking on us. But, but I'm just going to say this. If we're trusting in our military, they will not keep us safe. No matter how trained they are, no matter how much money we invest in them, no matter how much emphasis we put on it, it's not going to keep us safe as a nation. We must trust in the Lord. Not only that, but we cannot trust, the Bible says, in the world's wisdom. Okay, we see money and possessions, people, armies, but then the world's wisdom. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Another great passage. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Did you, did you just see what just happened there? It goes back to Romans when he says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Again, the wisdom that man has only separates him from God. It makes him haughty. It blows him up. But he says here in the passage, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Again, God's wisdom is not the same as the world's wisdom. There is a difference. 
Jesus Christ is the persona of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. We must understand it is not the world's wisdom that we need to be successful in our Christian lives. And this is the, this is the real danger today. We do not separate, if we're, if we're not careful, and again, I'm not big on separating things, but you must understand, you cannot separate your life and your Christian life. You can't do that. You can't say, well, I'm a Christian when I'm at church. I'm a Christian when I think about this or that. No, you are a Christian all the time, and so am I. The moment you were saved, you ceased being Gentile. You became part of the family or the church of Christ, the body of Christ. You and I have to think like believers 24-7. We do not need the world's wisdom to help us accomplish what God intends for us to accomplish. We need God's wisdom. Number five, your own wisdom or understanding or counsels. We cannot depend on our own wisdom, understanding, or counsels. Look at, at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> I've, I, I talk to people about a number of things, but when you talk to somebody about their soul and you, you ask questions like, you know, has there been a time in your life when you trusted Christ? Or if you died today, you're 100% sure where you spend eternity? Do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven when you die? And they say things like, uh, yeah. And you say, really? That's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. I'm just kind of curious. How are you so, why are you so confident? How, how can you be so confident? I'm interested because I don't run into that many people that are. Well, I just uh, feel like. You know what they just said? My wisdom, my counsels, in my, from my perspective, my understanding, I'm fine. Well, let me ask you, is that good enough? You want to know why we don't believe that? Why we don't even go, amen? That's not good enough. Why we didn't a resounding no? Because down deep, we are honest. There's a number of areas in our own life where we make that decision too. That it doesn't matter what I should be as a believer. I know what I have to be as someone part of this world. I have to do certain things. I have to believe certain ways. I can't do certain things. And so I have my own philosophy. I have my own ideology. I have my own opinions. You're not entitled to an opinion. And neither am I. We don't preach like that today. But let me tell you something. You don't have a right to your own opinion when it goes contrary to God's word. You say, I have a right. No, you have a right to be wrong. You can be wrong as you want to be. But when it transgresses and goes contrary to God's word, then you are dead wrong. Literally dead wrong. And you know what? You pass that attitude and that, that mentality on to your family and your children and others following you. And then you wonder why they don't obey your authority when you reject God's authority. We are all responsible to obey God, to trust Him. Not ourselves, not our own wisdom, understanding, or counsels. Trust in the Lord, he says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. Pastor says something, and we go, that's fine. You don't have to believe everything I say. 
But when you just read a verse like that and it says, lean not unto thine own understanding, the moment you step out and say, I just feel this though. I know what the Bible says, but I think that we should. You know what you just did? You didn't disobey the pastor. You didn't just throw mud in my eye or kick dirt in my face. You just did that to God. And I've done that to God too often. And the best I can, I'm trying not to do that anymore. That doesn't mean I'm perfect at it. We're going to struggle. Why? Because it's much easier to trust self than it is to trust God. It's much easier to trust the world's wisdom than it is to trust godly wisdom. It's much easier to obey the flesh than to obey the Word of God. It is. It's just easier. It's more comfortable. But that doesn't make it right, and it is not in our best interest, nor is it in the best interest of our children and our future here. We've got to quit looking at the present and realize that we are leaving a legacy. It's important what we leave behind. So our own wisdom and counsel. He says over in 2 Corinthians 1.9, But we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. He says in 2 Corinthians 3.5, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God. And let me give you a couple very brief examples of not trusting God. Here it is. Simple as I can make them. One, I say, I will not lie in order to spare the feelings of a friend. Or should it say, I will lie, excuse me. I will lie in order to spare the feelings of a friend. I will lie in order to spare the feelings of a friend. You're not trusting the Lord now. You say, yes, I am. No, you're not. He says, you'll not bear false witness. You will not lie. Don't lie. God, I know what you say, but I'm going to do what I feel is best. Is that God's wisdom now? Is that God's counsel? No, it's yours. But, but their feelings, I want to protect their feelings. I see. Okay. Again, you've made up your mind what's most important, what's necessary. It's all based on your philosophy, your wisdom. You're trusting in self now, not in God. You say, well, what about the consequences? What if I hurt their feelings? You need to be very wise in how you approach the situation. You need to be very careful that you're not judgmental, that you're not trying to somehow make their fault come out so that it makes them look bad in the sense that they're worse than everybody else or see at least I don't do that and you, you want to be careful I understand all that but listen you cannot lie to spare people's feelings because that's still a lie I'm just using it as an example you say well you don't understand I, I you're right I don't understand neither does God now listen avoid bad questions then don't answer them if you don't want to answer them but don't lie. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And the man that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Don't say anything. Well, what do you think about that? <laughs> do I look fat in this dress? I mean, are you kidding me? It's like, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I'm going to the bathroom, and then I'm going to kind of hide out until that goes away. What about this? I will neglect God's house by not attending in order to meet the needs of my family. I can't go to church. i got to work. You can't go to church? You have to work? What's wrong with that? 
Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Someone says, yeah, but you've got to provide for your family. You first have a responsibility to meet the requirement that God puts in your life as a believer. How can you be the believer God wants you to be if you're not filled with the strength, the, 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 the stamina to withstand in this world? How can you stand against the, the fiery darts of Satan? So I put a beautiful roof over my kids, my kids, my, over my kids' heads. But then I teach them that it's all right to throw God away. Dad, does, where's Dad at? He doesn't come to church. He's always working. I see. What do they grow up believing? That all that matters is work. All that matters is provision. All that matters is meeting the needs of the family. Never being concerned about what God says. Obeying God, what's that mean? That's nothing. He's a good, he's a good guy. Good guys are great. But you want to make an impact in your child's life, you need to be a godly man. Not just a good man. A lot of good men, very few godly men. Be careful. Don't fall into the trap of worldly wisdom. Times have changed, people. Pe uh, preacher, that's just the way it is. Times have changed. I know, but God's promises haven't. Neither has God. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, His ability to provide for us is not dependent on our economy, our job market, or the national gross product. Be careful. How about this one? I will share my needs with as many people as I can in hopes that they will feel compelled to meet them. I better say that one again. That was like... <laughs> I will share my needs with as many people as I can in hopes that they will feel compelled to meet them. Now, is that trusting God? I, used to, I was amazed in Bible college. How many young men would stand up or young ladies would stand up in the middle of all, please pray for me. I have $603.25 that I owe on my bill. And if I don't pay it before next week, there's a possibility I'll be removed from school. Pray that God will meet my needs and provide the money I You know why they said that, don't you? They're hoping somebody will meet the need. When's the last time, ma'am, you really prayed and fasted over your bill? When's the last time you begged God and went out of your way to be inconvenienced to provide for the bill? How many extra hours are you willing to put in so that God can get it done? Well, I don't work. I see. But you're sharing your need. Why? For the because you're trusting in men, not in the Lord. I'm not saying that our needs can't be shared sometimes. But I'm saying be careful that you don't go around sharing all your needs with people. It may appear that you're hoping someone will meet that need instead of letting God do it. At least that's the way I see I'm sorry. I see things a little different maybe. But I'm going to tell you something. If you haven't begged God, prayed over it, you ought to probably not share it with a lot of people. Your wife, you, they need to know about it. You need to pray about it. Let God do something in your life. And once you get to seeing God meeting needs in your life, you'll be amazed. It makes such a difference. I don't need my employer. I don't need my family. I don't need my extended family. I don't need my children to know how bad a shape we are. I just need God to know. I'm going to beg God to do something. And if somebody by chance finds out, praise the Lord, and they choose, God puts it on their heart to tell them. I prayed for $1,000 one time. Not for me. I wanted to buy something for the church. Computer. 
And I said, Lord, we don't have the money. I want $1,000, $1,000. And I want it in $100 bills. I did. It was about a month later or so, if I recall correctly, I got an envelope handed to me. And someone said, God, I felt like God told me to give this to you. I said, really? They said, now, there's money in it. I said, oh, okay. Immediately I thought, there's $1,000 in here. Here's what the person said to me. Originally, I felt like I would give you $100. I just felt like the preacher needs money. I'd give you $100 a month for 12 months. But then something just said, just give them $1,000. And the envelope it went into my hand. I opened it up after he left, and it was $1,000 bills. Listen, I didn't share that with people because I wanted to know it was God. You can say whatever you want, but I know it was God because nobody knew about it but me. And I got specific about what I wanted. God did it. You can't beat stuff like that. That's awesome stuff. Now, God, oh, we, could, we could talk about a few others. I, I think about a nation. We trust in our might or the might of others. That's important. We've got to be careful with that. So we got some warnings. We got some admonitions. Let me just conclude this thing because of time. But you think about Noah for a minute, would you? He arguably lived in the most vile and wretched time in history. Um, still amidst the overwhelming odds that he faced, the satanic opposition, he managed to complete the world's greatest building project of its time. An ark. It was basically a big floating zoo. And it was 450 feet long. Can you imagine that? 450 feet long. That's one and a half football fields. Now, I don't think any of us can possibly imagine the ridicule and the ribbing that Noah took for undertaking this massive ta uh, task. It was a ridiculous task in the eyes of the world, obviously. Made no sense to anybody. And um, I'm sure that he was the laughingstock, not just of his local, uh, you know, locale, but probably around the known world at the time. Anybody that lived knew about this. It took him 120 years to build it, so they had plenty of time to get it out. His reputation as a lunatic, a madman, had to have reached around the world. I've got to believe that. Still, he continued to build. Still, he kept up the work. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, until one day God had his family go into the ark along with those animals, and God closed the door of that ark. The rain began to fall. And at that very moment, amidst the unsuspected danger, the first feelings of fear were felt by the inhabitants of the earth. It would only be a few short minutes before the population of the entire world was buried in the waters of judgment. That is horrified as the Christ-haters were at that very moment. Noah and his family were equally happy that they had remained faithful in trusting God. See, Noah trusted God, and God blessed Noah. I mean, he could have easily abandoned his calling. He could have picked up his tools and went home. He could have simply decided that trusting God came with too great a price, but he didn't. would have been a little over a year later, and it was 
that that door came open and Noah and his family walked out on dry ground to begin the human race all over again, protected and saved by the judgment, through the judgment. The Bible says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You realize what he's saying? He says life just goes on. And the reality is this. We don't even realize it sometimes, but we're just trusting in what we know. I want you to really Examine your hearts. Ask yourself the question, who will I trust? Who will I trust with my marriage, with my family, with my job, with my future? Will I just assume that I'm trusting Him or will I allow Him to reveal areas in my life where I have abandoned Him and just embraced a philosophy that I grew up in. Be careful. Sir Alexander Mackenzie is a Canadian hero. He was a fur trader and an explorer, and he accomplished a magnificent feat when he led the expedition across Canada from Fort Chippewan I always say, I practice and practice, I still say it wrong. Chippewan on the Lake Athabasca. <laughs> I worked at this, but that's as good as it gets. He led an expedition across Canada from that fort on that lake to the Pacific Ocean. His incredible journey was completed in 1793, just 11 years before Lewis and Clark began their famous expedition to the West. McKenzie's earlier attempt in 1789, however, was a major disappointment for him. His explorers had set out in an effort to find a water route to the Pacific Ocean. The Valiant Group followed a mighty river. It was now, the river's now named the Mackenzie. They were following it with great expectation, with very high hopes. They paddled furiously amid the great danger. Unfortunately, it didn't empty into the Pacific. Instead, it emptied into the Arctic Ocean. In his diary, Mackenzie called it the River of Disappointment. The River of Disappointment. You know, when we follow after others above the Lord, when we follow after things above the Lord, we are headed down the River of Disappointment. Oh, it may at times seem exhilarating and exciting, it may even give the false illusion of being safe and secure. It may seem foolproof and a sure thing. But you can rest assured, if your confidence is in anyone or anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, you're on a crash course of disappointment. Today, I trust that you will trust in the Lord. Not just for your salvation, but with your life. What an opportunity we have to help the next generation see a faithful people trusting in Christ. It's my responsibility to show these young men and ladies 
that they can trust the Lord and they'll not regret it. Everybody that's 25 and younger, stand up. 25 and younger, stand up. Look around you for a moment. Every one of these young people need to be able to look at our lives and see that trusting the Lord is worth it. That it doesn't lead them astray. That it doesn't ruin their prospects. That it doesn't destroy their dreams. But instead, it offers them strength, hope, peace, and purpose. They need you and me to trust Him. We may think we don't need Him. But they need us to need Him. And for their sake, I'm asking you as parents, grandparents, friends, church family, to evaluate your heart today and find areas, if there are any, that you need to better trust Him. Because if we don't learn to do it, I promise you, they won't. You guys may be seated. Father, we come to you.